turn there, Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Let us go to the Lord one more time in a word of prayer as we declare our dependence on Him in all things, especially as we seek to receive, to hear, and to not only hear, but to believe His Word. Let us pray together. Father, we are so thankful for this very moment that You have given us the opportunity to gather under the declaration and proclamation of the good news of Christ. And so as we think about Jonah this morning, as we think about your providential hand that directed all the affairs of the history of men in order to lead us to the climax of history, which was the sacrifice and crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, We are so thankful that you are God who was working from the beginning of creation, from Genesis chapter 3 in the fall all the way up through the Gospels and the book of Acts and the epistles, even to the end of the church age into the millennium. Father, we are so thankful that you are doing all things according to the counsel of your will. And so this morning, as we think about Jonah, as we think about the good news as it is declared in the book of Jonah, Father, we pray that we would be especially encouraged this morning, that we would walk away from here knowing that God is good and that He desires to be with us where we are and that He has gone to extraordinary lengths to draw us closer to Himself even through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. We're so thankful for it. And we pray this in Your name. Amen. If I were to ask you the question, what is the Gospel this morning? Could you give me a short definition? You see, the term Gospel is a word that we throw around an awful lot in our gatherings here at Berean BFC. And often when I get home after a sermon, my wife is careful to remind me that I need to make sure to always define the gospel. She exhorts me never to assume that people know what the gospel is. And so, beloved, that might be a question that I pose to you at the outset of our time this morning. Do you know the good news of God and His Son, Jesus Christ? If I were to ask you this morning to define the Gospel, could you do it? Maybe I'll give you just a few seconds to see if you could summarize the Gospel in your own head, by one or two sentences. Take a moment, give it a try. What is the Gospel? If I were to summarize the Gospel in one sentence, I would steal, I think that's appropriate this morning, I would borrow, maybe is a a better word, I would borrow the title of one of John Piper's books, God is the Gospel. That is to say that the good news is that God gives us Himself. That He removes all the obstacles that keep us from seeing Him 
as our ultimate delight, and He gives us, through the Holy Spirit, a new taste, a new inner relish, a desire to see God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. If I were to take a quote from that very book, God is the Gospel by John Piper, I would take this quote that's found on the introduction, and you can see it in the insert in your bulletin if you would like to follow along. Piper says this, when I say that God is the Gospel, I mean that the highest, best, final, decisive good of the Gospel, without which no other gifts would be good, is the glory of God in the face of Christ revealed for our everlasting enjoyment. The saving love of God is God's commitment to do everything necessary to enthrall us with what is most deeply and durably satisfying, namely Himself. Since we are sinners, we have no right and no desire to be enthralled with God. Therefore, God's love enacted a plan of redemption to provide that right and that desire. The supreme demonstration of God's love was the sending of His Son Jesus to die for our sins and to rise again so that sinners might have the right to approach God and might have the pleasure of His presence forever. If I were to sum up the Gospel from the psalmist, I would say that the good news of God is that He has renewed within us a capacity to taste and see that the Lord is good. As we read in Psalm 34 verse 8. That we are blessed by God because we are those who take refuge in Him. The Bible is the account of God's dealings in history with mankind to bring a defiant people back to a joy and delight in Himself. Now this message is epitomized in the book of Jonah. The last time we were together, we left Jonah in a rather precarious situation. He has turned his back on God. His desire, as we have read, is to run from the presence of the Lord. Jonah is a conflicted man. He has served God his whole life, and yet at this moment, when called by Yahweh to take the message of his goodness and grace to the Ninevites, he turns away. He demonstrates in these first two chapters, or at least the whole of the first chapter, our proclivity, of uh, the proclivity of men when faced with the will of God to abandon Him and go on our own way. And as we have seen as a result of Jonah's rebellion, he has been tossed overboard by the sailors from Tarshish. And now, where we left off, he finds himself swallowed by a great fish. 
that we learned last time we were together was appointed by the Lord of creation. And now he is squirming in that fish's belly. Now this would be a very uncomfortable situation for any of us. As I was discussing the sermon with Paul Corona last week, he made this observation. He said, it's interesting that the Lord takes Jonah from a very frightening situation, the storm on the ship, to a very uncomfortable situation, being in the belly of the big fish. The situation for Jonah goes from bad to worse. He went on to say, it's interesting that the times when we think we need relief, God tends to work on us by making our situation worse. And that's certainly the case in our account of Jonah's life. What we notice is that it's the time that Jonah spent in the fish's belly that finally brings him to an end of himself, which then causes him to cry out to the Lord in prayer. This is the thing that I believe God wanted from Jonah in the first place, was to trust in the Lord. Tim Keller in his book, Rediscovering Jonah, says this, he says, with 2020 hindsight, we can see that the most important lessons we have in life are the result of God's severe mercies. They are events that were difficult or even excruciating at the time, but later came to yield more good in our lives than we could have foreseen. The great fish is a perfect example of such a severe mercy. If Jonah was to begin finally to ascend, both in the water and in faith, he had to be brought to the very end of himself. The way up was, first of all, down. The usual place to learn the greatest secrets of God's grace is at the bottom. Close quote. When we pick up with our prophet, we do see that he is finally at that place where he's willing to confess his depravity and his inability to rescue himself. But it wasn't until Jonah spent the three days and the three nights in the fish's belly till he comes to this place. Notice we see this in the text this morning. Notice at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Then... Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. If we read verse 1 of chapter 2 in context, it would say this, beginning in verse 17 of chapter 1, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. The then at the beginning of chapter 2 verse 1 is a conjunction showing a sequence of events. Jonah spent three days and three nights in the fish's belly. And then after this grueling time, he finally cries out to the Lord in prayer. It would seem 
that it took Jonah the whole three days and the whole three nights to finally be broken by the Lord. And I tell you what, I think if I was in that fish's belly for two seconds, I would have been repenting and turning back to the Lord. But here we see Jonah's stubborn and rebellious heart in refusing to give himself over to the Lord. And the Lord knows it. The Lord knows exactly what Jonah needs to bring him back into fellowship with himself. And beloved, let me assure you this morning that God knows exactly what you need to bring you into closer fellowship with himself. Think that leads us to the question this morning is what is the fish's belly for you? What is that place where you find yourself exasperated beyond all hope that forces you to cry out to the Lord? What uncomfortable situation does the Lord bring you back to time and time and time again that takes you beyond yourself? And forces you to pray to the Lord for deliverance. As we saw last week, the Lord uses some of the hardest situations in our lives to draw us close to Him. Which means then, beloved, and hear this, proximity to the Lord is far more important than personal comforts. Let me say that again. Proximity to the Lord is far more important than personal comforts. Beloved, the Lord would rather you be close to Him than comfortable. Which is probably why the Lord called Jonah to preach to the Ninevites in the first place. The Lord knew that Jonah did not want to go. And this journey that Jonah is now on is a journey out of his comfort and into closer fellowship with his covenant God. We learn two things concerning the gospel in our passage this morning, brothers and sisters. And the first, if you are following along on the insert in your bulletin, is this, that God is the source. God is the source of our ultimate delight. We see that in our text for this morning. Notice how Jonah describes his prayer in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. Don't miss that little detail. Notice that Jonah here owns the covenant-keeping God for himself. It is the Lord, his God. After all of this, after being tossed to and fro in the ship and being tossed overboard to be swallowed up in the fish's belly, after all of this, Jonah finally recognizes the God of creation, yes, but also the God of covenants, the God who is committed to him. The God that is using all of his circumstances in the midst of this story to draw him closer into fellowship with himself. Here he comes to the realization that all that has happened up to this point is an exercise of Yahweh's love and care for him. He realizes, 
here in the fish's belly that he belongs to the Lord. And that the Lord is working all things, even this most uncomfortable situation, to bring Jonah back into fellowship with himself. I have a psalm hanging up in my office that tends to be a constant reminder for me of this very truth. It's Psalm 73.28. And it says this out of the NASB, which my wife will appreciate. Psalm 73, verse 28, you can find it on the insert in your bulletin, says this, But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. The nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Do we really believe that this morning? I must confess to you that I at times tend to doubt that very reality, which is why I have it plastered on the back wall in my office. Do you believe, beloved, that God and closeness to Him is your greatest good? And if so, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to get there? Are you willing to give up your comforts if that means being closer to the Lord? Because, beloved, it often does. Let me declare it to you this morning with the psalmist, nearness to God is your ultimate good. Let me say it again, just so it sinks deep down into your soul. Beloved, nearness to God is your ultimate good. Maybe we might say it together as a congregation. Let's say it together Nearness to God is my ultimate good. Being close to God is the gospel. It is the good news. Much like a loving child longs to be with his father, so those who have been lightened to the truth of God see a new longing in their own hearts. And it's a longing to be with their Heavenly Father even where He is at. Oftentimes when I'm running to the store to do some errands, I will often ask which child would like to go with me so that I do not have to go by myself. Now this is often a source of contention for my children. Because they're constantly fighting about who gets to go with dad to the store. Most of the times, it's my sons who are more than adamant that they are going to go with dad to the store. Now, I hope and pray that the reason they want to go to the store with me is because they want to be with me and not because they know if they go to the store with dad, they'll get a treat, which is often the case. But I believe that the reality which is demonstrated in that truth is that my children long to be with their father where he is at. Beloved, that is the good news of the gospel. 
not only that God has transformed our hearts in order that we want to be with God, but more astoundingly, that God desires to be with us. Beloved, in spite of all of Jonah's faults and failures, God desired Jonah to be close to him. And beloved, let me assure you this morning that in spite of all of our faults and failures, God desires for us, for our neighbors, for our loved ones, for our co-workers, for the sailors of Tarshish, and even for the Ninevites to be close to Him. And as we have seen in our narrative, God goes to extraordinary lengths to bring Jonah back into fellowship with Himself. And He has gone to great lengths also to get us to that point, even the sacrifice of His own Son, Jesus Christ. Beloved, hear this. You can be restored to fellowship with the Father because of what Jesus has done on the cross and in the resurrection if you trust in Him. Now, if God's desire is to be close to us, and if our greatest good is to be close to God, then the Lord of the universe will bring whatever is necessary into our lives in order to draw us closer to Himself. We've seen in the story of Jonah that for Jonah it was a great storm, and even more so three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. But for us it might be something entirely different. It might be the loss of a loved one. It might be something that we hold near and dear to us being stripped away. It might be losing one of our greatest joys in this life, but whatever it is, God is seeking to fill that loss with more of Himself. And Jonah finally finds himself here. He's at the end of himself. He's suffered long enough and so He prays to the Lord. And we see the contents of his prayer in verses 2 through 9 of the second chapter of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 2, verses 2 through 9, we get a peek into the contents of Jonah's inner man as he verbalizes for us his prayer so that we might learn from him. Brothers and sisters, we have a real privilege of seeing into Jonah's heart. We get to look inside into Jonah's internal conversation. You see, the culture around us has convinced us that it's what happens on the outside that is most important. You see, if we look at Jonah's circumstances, the culture would convince us that all that Jonah needs to be happy is relocation. That if he can just get out of the fish's belly, then everything will be okay. But beloved, what the world doesn't understand is that God uses the outside of Jonah's situation to work 
on the inside. Because it's the inside that God is most concerned with. It's the inside that tends to lead us away from the Lord our God. And so God's desire for all of us is to use the external pressures and circumstances in our lives to continue to work on the inner man. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Love, never think that a change in location or circumstances is the answer to your problems. It never is. A change in heart is what is needed. And the Lord used Jonah's circumstances and He uses our circumstances to bring about that change of heart. You see, the Lord, you can find this on the insert in your bulletin, the Lord, through His circumstances, changes Jonah's heart and that change in heart brings Jonah back to the Lord through His Word. Let me say that again because it's such an important point as we transition into the second point of the sermon. The Lord, through Jonah's circumstances, changes Jonah's heart, and the change in heart brings Jonah back to the Lord through His Word. You see, the Bible is sufficient. To show us who God is and remind us of what He has done, what He is doing, and what He will do so that we might be assured that God is the most glorious and our ultimate good. You see, because not only do we find that the Lord is the source of our ultimate delight, we also find, secondly, here in our passage, that Scripture is sufficient to sustain our delight in God. Scripture is sufficient to sustain our delight in God. There's an important observation that we must make here at the outset of Jonah's prayer. Notice in verse 2, that Jonah prays in the past tense. Notice it with me. Jonah chapter 1 and 2, or Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, says this Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, quote, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, there's a lot of speculation about the tense of these verbs. Why is Jonah speaking in the past tense in this passage and not telling us of his present situation? Why does Jonah chapter 2 verse 2 not read, Jonah prayed from the belly of the fish saying, I call out to the Lord and you answer me. From the belly I cry 
and you hear me. Wouldn't this fit the narrative better? Now, there are many explanations for why Jonah speaks in the past tense here. And I think the one that best fits is that Jonah is actually quoting Scripture back to the Lord. Jonah is voicing as he spends this time in the belly of the fish. He is voicing and quoting the psalmist here and applying the words from Psalm 3 and Psalm 118 to his current circumstances. Beloved, in our passage, Jonah is turning to the Word to help him make sense of his current circumstances. Now there are two Psalms in particular that I think are especially relevant here, and I just cited them, but you can find them again on the insert in your bulletin. Notice Psalm chapter 3 verse 4 says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and He answered me from His holy hill, Selah. Psalm 118 verse 5, Out of my distress I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. Notice the beginning of Jonah's prayer sounds very similar to this kind of biblical language. Verse 2 in Jonah chapter 2 saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. Now Jonah modifies the language a bit to fit his current situation, but the language in Jonah's prayer is awfully similar to that of the psalmist. Which establishes a very important principle for us here this morning. And the principle is this. The means that God has given us to understand the good news of God and His salvation is the Word of God. The means that God has given us to understand the good news of God's salvation is the Scripture. It is the Word of God. What we see here in this account is that Jonah turns to the Word in the midst of his distress. He goes to the Psalms. He quotes the Scripture. He voices God's promises and His character back to Him. Essentially, what we find Jonah doing here in this passage is falling back on the character and works of God in history. He says, and I am paraphrasing, I am in a terrible situation, but Yahweh is faithful. He says, my circumstances are bad. But Yahweh is good. He confesses here, I am in the very depths, outside of the hearing of any human ear, but the Lord still hears my cry. Beloved, when you are in the midst of those difficult situations, these are not trite statements. They are life-giving statements. First, because they are true, but secondly, because they have been the testimony of God's saints throughout all of history. Again, the Bible is the account 
of God's dealings in history with mankind to bring a defiant people back to a joy and delight in himself, often through difficult circumstances. Distress and suffering have been the normal experience for God's people since the beginning of time. We all know the story of Cain and Abel. Joseph, Moses, David, the prophets, Paul, and especially Jesus are all case studies in the sufferings of those who seek to be faithful to God in His promises. We quoted Psalm chapter 3 and Psalm 118, but the Psalms are rife with quotes just like this as God's people proclaim over their situations the goodness of God, which has led many to question that very goodness. The critics of Christianity will say, if God is so good, then why do His people suffer so much? Or if God is all-powerful, why wouldn't He prevent us from suffering altogether? Beloved, the answer to that question is that there is something greater in this world than health, riches, and ease of life. There is something more valuable in this life than money, possessions, and good times. And it is to be close to God. This has been the testimony of the saints down through the ages. And it's the testimony of Jonah here. In his lowest moment, he brings to his remembrance the experience of the saints from the book of Psalms. Now there is much that we can learn here. Again, Jonah finds himself in a very outrageous situation in the belly of a great fish. And yet, he turns to a very ordinary means. He turns to the Word of God. He turns to that which has been impressed upon his heart since childhood, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Jonah would have been brought up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. He would have been brought up learning the truths of a God who rescued his people from the hands of the Egyptians. And here, Jonah turns to the one thing he has in the midst of this difficult situation. Beloved, he doesn't have substances. He doesn't have entertainment. He doesn't have work. He doesn't have shopping. He doesn't have food. He doesn't even have the comfort of loved ones. Jonah has no means here of human escape. All Jonah has is God. His God. And so he turns to the proclamation of God's goodness in the Psalms. 
Hear it again, Psalm chapter 3, verse 4. I cried out to the Lord and He answered me from His holy hill. Psalm 118, verse 5. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. In this text, we learn a very important doctrine. We learn the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture. What we learn here from Jonah is that the Word of God is sufficient to declare the good news of God and sustain our souls as we search for joy in the midst of our troubling circumstances. John MacArthur, as he comments on this doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture, says this, It is significant that one of the biblical names of Christ is Wonderful Counselor. He is the highest and ultimate one to whom Christians may turn for counsel. And His Word is the well from which we may draw divine wisdom. What could be more wonderful than that? In fact, one of the most glorious aspects of Christ's perfect sufficiency is the wonderful counsel and great wisdom He supplies in times of despair, confusion, fear, anxiety, and sorrow. Jesus is the quintessential counselor. What we find Jonah doing here as he finds himself in this impossible situation is he preaches to himself. He proclaims the Word of God to his soul. He brings the reality around him in line with the declaration of God in the Scripture. He is proclaiming the Word of God over and in his circumstances. And through this action, he is taking steps back to the realities that are embraced in the Psalms themselves. In Jonah preaching to himself, he is returning back to God. You see, beloved, too often we find ourselves listening to ourselves instead of preaching to ourselves. And beloved, in those moments when we are in deepest despair and depression, we need to stop listening to the inner voices and we need to proclaim the objective and external realities of God that we find in His inerrant and infallible Word. Beloved, that is what we need as a church. We need God's Word. We need to be reminded week in and week out, and may I dare to say, day after day after day, we need to be reminded of the truth of God found in His Word. Beloved, we need to be preaching to ourselves. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his classic book, Spiritual Depression, said this about the psalmist in Psalm 42. And it's an extended quote, so I've provided it for you in your insert, 
And I trust that you'll take it home with you and reflect on this reality throughout the week. Notice what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about Psalm 42. He says this, and I quote, The main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Am I just trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing the self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He asks. His soul has been repressing him, crushing him. So he stands us up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Do you know what I mean? If you do not, you have but little experience. He goes on to say, and this is the main idea, the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. Preach to yourself. Question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, say to yourself, hope thou in God. Instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God. Who God is. And what God is. And what God has done. And what God has pledged Himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself. And defy other people. And defy the devil. And the whole world. And say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. That is, his presence. Who is also the health of my countenance and my God. Close quote. What we find Jonah doing here in verse 2 is preaching to himself. He is defying himself. He is condemning himself. He is exhorting himself. Beloved, he is reminding himself of the love and power of his God by turning to his word. And brothers and sisters, God is calling us to do the same. In our most difficult circumstances, stop 
listening to yourself. And instead, begin to preach to yourself even that which we have declared this morning. God is your ultimate good. And his, in His presence is joy forevermore. Beloved, what we have within the Word of God is our greatest ally. And so this text here reminds us, it encourages us, it exhorts us, it challenges us to preach God's Word in the midst of our circumstances. For it is God who will deliver us because He is good and our Savior. And as Jonah turns to Scripture, this leads him to confess his sin and to trust in the saving power of Yahweh. And this is where we will go next week, Lord willing, as we look at the rest of Jonah's prayer. Let us pray together. Father, we are so thankful for your grace towards us. Father, we're so thankful for the privilege that each one of us have here this morning. That as we leave this place, we can take with us a copy of your holy and inspired word. That as we wake up in the morning, we can open up that word and we can read even the psalmist words that we find here in Psalm 3 and Psalm 118. Father, that each one of us have access to the good news of God and His salvation found in the Word. And so, Father, may we never take that lightly. May we never forget that it's Your Word that sustains us. And so, Father, may each one of us grow in our delight in it. We're so thankful for it, and we pray this in Your name.